0: Praise starting in verse six saying, I have revealed you, meaning God the Father, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me and they accepted them. They knew a certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I, I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So, Ascension Sunday, it's that Sunday where we celebrate that, that transition of Jesus ascending into heaven with the instruction that the disciples were to wait in Jerusalem until he would send the gift that had been promised, the Holy Spirit. So, it is a goodbye of sorts. You know, that we had that transition from Jesus dying on the cross and being raised again. But then in this period of days since that time, Jesus isn't with them constantly. We have these post-resurrection appearances where he's coming and he's going. They're, they're together and they're praying and, and suddenly he's there in their midst. And so it's, it's kind of a, been a long goodbye in a sense. He's been sort of weaning himself away from from the physical presence of being there with the disciples. And it was Charles Schultz's uh, famous character, Charlie Brown, who said, goodbye always makes my throat hurt. Goodbyes are hard. Like Charlie Brown, we often get choked up in our our throats and our hearts hurt. I'm sure that Jesus might have been a little choked up at times as he was praying this prayer for his, his good friends, those that had stood beside him in ministry for three years. But choked up also because he was looking forward and he was thinking of you and of me and how he wouldn't always be there physically with us to reach out and to grab hold and have that assurance of his presence. Author A.A. Milne's beloved character Winnie the Pooh, a favorite of mine, reflected on his own goodbye with Christopher Robin saying, How lucky am I to have had something that makes goodbyes so hard. We spoke of the friendship we have with Jesus last week. That friendship that Jesus formed with his first disciples... Friendships that meant a great deal to him. I'm sure that saying goodbye, even even if he knew it was better for him to go, to leave and not be physically present with them, that even knowing that, this goodbye was hard. Hard because he knew it would be difficult for his disciples, for his followers. But in those times of transition, in those times of goodbyes, we learn a great deal about somebody by their parting words or what they choose to leave in terms of wisdom and guidance with those they've led. So what does Jesus pray for as he considers leaving his disciples at the end of this earthly portion of his ministry? What does his prayer teach us about his priorities for continuing discipleship. We're going to look at four things really quickly from this passage. Four things that can be gleaned from Jesus' prayer. First, the relationship principle of giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. None of this is going to be new for those of you that are familiar with Jesus' ministry because a lot of times when we're getting ready to say goodbye, it's kind of like trying to encapsulate all the wisdom we've been he 's been trying to spread out all along, so this is, these are kind of reminders, but but giving and receiving this economy of generosity modeled first in the Trinity, Jesus the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was as he 's praying, you see Jesus recognizes that he was given by the Father to the world, and that Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many and What was given to Jesus by the Father was the disciples, but he he shared with the disciples everything that he had learned from the Father. Jesus chose his disciples, but it was also the Father that was involved through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in selecting those same disciples. And if you're confused at this point as to where it starts and where it ends, yes. Yes. Yes, in the same way that the interplay between God's purposes and our free will and how we experience this life and the mysterious interactions and relationships between the members of the Trinity. We've talked before in this context in this time of sharing and messages and worship about the holy mysteries, that there are things in our faith that we know and have experienced as true, but if you were to ask us to intellectually explain them, or diagram them out, or test them in a scientific lab, we simply couldn't. And how fitting that Jesus praying around these thoughts shares that same sort of tumbling of, of emotions and realizations of the complexities and mysteries of the truths that are behind this type of relationship that is giving and receiving, giving and receiving through various members I know that I've been there in prayer maybe you have too you're, you're praying and out tumble this spirit led torrent of words that circle and dance around some sort of mysterious and challenging aspect of life and faith This giving and receiving and loving relationship is is the way that the best of our friendships feel. That no one's keeping score or balancing the books. There's a generosity that flows both ways and neither party takes advantage of because the motivation is that other person's joy and fulfillment. Ideally, this is the way that the church operates. And what we see operating for a very short time in the early church in Acts, where they were sharing all things in common, as they had need. But it nearly always breaks down because, well, you know what? We're not perfect. (laughs) We're not perfect. And relationships aren't always perfectly balanced between giving and receiving. And we resent being taken advantage of, or feeling like we're being taken advantage of. And we guard our hearts against that. And while we strive for the generous economy of the Trinity, and this is what Jesus modeled for us and prays for us, we can only hope to approach this idea, this ideal, with the Spirit's help. because it's it's a kingdom economy. And we're we have not yet fully lived into the reality of God's kingdom. And in God's economy, The currency is love, and the product is joy. So giving and receiving, that principle of giving and receiving we see in Jesus' prayer. And second, we see in this prayer, Jesus' desire that we know the blessing of truly belonging. Who among us doesn't desire to feel that they belong and that they're fully accepted? The key to having that sense of belonging is Well, guess what? It's not to seek it in other people. That's often what we run to. That's where we think it's going to come from. But people will let us down, even those closest to us. Our spouses will let us down. Our brothers and sisters will let us down. Our parents will let us down. Our children will let us down. Our bosses will let us down. Our subordinates will let us down. Our friends will let us down. Our pastor is certainly going to let us down. People will let you down. Only Jesus will never let you down. Knowing who you are in Christ and your value and relationship to Jesus is what will fill you up and make you ready for healthy relationships and mutual belonging to others. The ache that many feel that they they do not belong or are not accepted by others is a result of a deep woundedness that only Jesus can heal. Until that healing occurs, that person is, is like a leaky bucket. If that sounds like you or me, well, we can... If we're that leaky bucket, we can keep asking that other people fill us up. But that love acceptance and joy is quickly slipping away. It's going to spring out from all the holes in that bucket. I know this from personal experience and from working with many trauma-affected individuals. Healing comes from knowing you are worthwhile and acceptable to God, which then, with his help, plugs some of those leaks, patches some of those holes, leading to the confidence that makes Friendships and loving relationships not only possible, but closer to God's ideal. This balanced approach to giving and receiving, to trust and acceptance, is exemplified in the relationship between the Father and the Son. Well, next we see in Jesus' prayer, the third point, the, the blessing of protection. Right, There's some talk in that prayer about being known by Jesus' name, you know, they, that I gave them to you, Lord, and they were protected by by my name, and now I'm going and I'm going to leave my name with, you know, it it gets a little confusing at some point. So what is this blessing of protection? What's this talk of being known by Jesus' name? Well, Jesus begins this section of the prayer by telling God the Father that he has revealed the Father to them and that they have believed and obeyed God's word. It's very important that we see that Jesus has revealed God the Father to us because this key aspect of realizing the protection afforded to us as as God's people comes through this revelation. That we are not on our own, and we do not go out into the world on our own, with our own power, or in our own name. So think about what Jesus is praying for and what he's considering for us, for his church, compared to what Moses prayed for Israel in that passage read earlier in worship in Exodus 33, where Moses is having this same sort of intercessory prayer, but, but he's praying to God for himself and for the nation of Israel. Where Moses says to the Lord, hey, listen, <laughs> you've said to me, Bring up this people out of Egypt. But you have not let me know whom you're going to send with me. Yet you have said, well, I know you by name. And you've found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, God, if I, if I have found favor in your sight, please now show me your ways that, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said in reply, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, that is Moses saying, back to the Lord. That sounds good. That sounds good, because if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we're distinct, that we're different than the rest of the world? I and your people, distinct from every other people on the face of this earth? The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, well, all right, Moses is on a roll at this point. He's getting everything he's asking for. So he goes for the jackpot. He says, please show me your glory. God said, tell you what, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. So that was Moses' prayer for himself and for the Israelites. And here we have Jesus praying for himself. He's thinking about, he's reflecting on this relationship he has with God the Father. He's thinking about the church, his disciples. We've gone from, no one shall see my face and live, to having Jesus, who is the perfect image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15. whereas the Amplified Bible puts it, he is the exact living image, the essential manifestation of the unseen God, the, the visible representation of the invisible. That, that word manifest is from the Latin, manifestare, which, which means to make visible, to indicate, to make plain, to disclose. Manifest means evident to the senses, especially to the sight, but also apparent, distinctly perceived, obvious to the understanding, apparent to the mind, easily apprehensible, plain, not obscure or hidden. This is Jesus, making manifest, making plain, making clear who God the Father was. Now, the nation of Israel, what, what did they have? When they came out of Egypt, they had the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Later, they had the tent of meeting and the tabernacle. And even later, the holy of holies inside the temple in Jerusalem. All of these were physical manifestations of God's holy presence. It gave the nation a security and the assurance that God was with them in a way that God was not with anybody else. But it was still external. It was still God's presence is is out there in in the cloud, in the fire in the Holy of Holies, behind a curtain that nobody could go and see and touch and experience, except for one day a year, the high priest. And in some ways, in Jesus' earthly ministry, though he was physically present with them, he too was also external we see those times when the disciples are looking around going, where'd Jesus go? Right? Because no Jesus, no miracle working power, no guidance, no no clear direction on what God is doing in a situation. So as Jesus is making this transition from being with us physically, even in resurrected form that we've been talking about since Easter, appearing to the disciples he's now ascending into heaven and is sending the spirit at pentecost which i've mentioned we're going to celebrate next sunday and in doing so we don't we have not just an image of an invisible god out there we have the very presence of god in here in here And God's presence in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our very selves, is our protection. Jesus speaks in his prayer, protecting those who are his friends and followers, and that Jesus is praying in this way so that our joy will be complete. He's very nearly finished his his time when he's going to be physically present on the earth. So he's preparing his disciples for this transition and how he would be with them and protecting them. God is able to do for us what, what no other friend can do because he's in us and with us always. Now, examples of sacrificial protecting love are, are common in literature. But they are simple and incomplete reflections of Jesus' protecting love for us. For instance, a a favorite of mine occurs in the end of E.B. White's book, Charlotte's Web. How many of you have read Charlotte's Web? Bradley, have you read Charlotte's Web? The one with the pig and the spider? So Wilbur, the pig, is at the end of this book, is wondering why Charlotte has befriended him. Asking, what he might have done for the wonderful gift that the spider has given in in using her talents and her intellect to save his life. He feels a tremendous debt to his friend. And he mourns that she, well, she's soon going to die and leave while he cannot do anything to repay her. Charlotte's response mirrors the love of Jesus for his disciples Why did you do all this for me? Wilbur asked. I I don't deserve it. I've never done anything for you. Charlotte says, You have been my friend. That in itself is a tremendous thing. I wove my webs for you because I liked you. After all, what's, what's a life anyway? We're born, we live a little bit, we die. A spider's life, Can't help but being something of a mess with all this trapping and eating flies. By helping you, perhaps I was trying to lift up my life a trifle. Heaven knows anyone's life can stand a little of that. There is nothing that we can do to earn or deserve the love and friendship of Jesus Christ. We know what it's like to feel like Wilbur, to be that little pig unworthy of love and worthy, we think of the love that we've received and that gift of life. Charlotte protected Wilbur's life until it was no longer in danger. And when Wilbur was finally safe, she knew she could go. Well, Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples and, and prayed for their protection and that they would stay safe in his name as they identified in him as his friends. He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. We realize the tremendous gift we've been given in this relationship, growing in Christ, And as we do that, we can realize the full impact of the last part of Jesus' prayer for us. He prayed that we would be set apart to receive the word. This prayer, this prayer is where we get the concept of being in the world, but not of it. Jesus describes this concept to the disciples praying. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You have sent me into the world. I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. We are, taking, we are being taken out of the world's control or ownership when we are born again of the Spirit. Having been in bondage to sin, unable to please God in and of ourselves, our spiritual rebirth makes us a child of God, a co-heir with Christ in all the blessings of God. So now, in this saved state, we are able to not sin. And now the fallenness of our previous lifestyle, the, the place in which we dwelt, that, that pit that, that Psalm 40 talks about, that, that the Lord lifted us out of, that pit is now simply a pitfall for us that we can avoid. Now, we don't often avoid it, right? It's like sometimes the, the roads, when they deteriorate, you know, you get the, the potholes and you can steer around some of them, but chances are you're going to hit one or two. That past life can still trip us up, which is why Jesus is praying for our protection. Jesus says that he even sets himself apart, sanctifies himself in order to help us. Just as growing closer to Jesus and learning of our identity in Christ helps us to have healthy relationships, well, growing closer to the one who has sanctified himself for our sake allows us to more naturally sanctify ourselves. If we're drawing closer and closer to the one who has set himself apart, we too will be more and more set apart for God's purposes. And as we do so, we're protected in Jesus' name and the truth of God's word as we walk in the word and keep step with the spirit. This prayer is Jesus' parting words to his disciples, spoken to the Father in prayer. These are his best wishes for us, so to speak. They teach us about Jesus' priorities and the principles that should guide our Personal discipleship in our life together as a church. In some ways, this prayer is like Jesus giving his own eulogy. He's preparing his disciples for a life lived without his daily physical presence. But it's it's complicated in the sense that while he's physically leaving, he isn't really leaving at all. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. The spirit dwells in our physical bodies and we together are the body of Christ. So the appropriate reaction to this knowledge is joy, not mourning. While we remember, right, in remembrance of me, while we remember Christ's life, we do not memorialize it. Robert Burns said that the definition of a memorial service is a farewell party for someone who's already gone. So we do not memorialize Christ because he's not dead. He's alive. And we are alive in him. Praise God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that we come to meet you at the table a living Christ that meets us, that is present with us and in us. That as we transition to communion, we're, we're not memorializing a dead teacher or a leader through empty ritual, something that reminds us of something that happened thousands of years ago but has no impact on our lives. Because you're alive. Right here, right now, with us. You've set yourself apart. We seek to set ourselves apart. You prayed for our protection, Lord. We pray for our protection, that you would keep us in you, strong to stand the test of our faith. Lord, we recognize your presence with us, this blessing of protection. As much more than that, the acknowledgement that we belong in you, that you are the only one who will never let us down. And that as we live into that reality, we can be part of that generous economy of giving and receiving. Lord, what an amazing thing to think that, that we, we were the gift that God the Father gave to the Son. Because we feel so unworthy. You make us worthy. Your presence in us, you have redeemed every hurt and broken part of us. By modeling the life and redemption that comes from your broken body, broken for us, and your shed blood, shed for us in the forgiveness of sins. Help us remember, but not to memorialize. Help us to live it, not thinking it's something that's simply in the past. You're with us right now, You're with us every moment of every day. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.